Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to this edition of the John Papaloni Show. Today, we have Scott Royal-Smith. Scott, welcome to the show. Yeah, great to be with you, John. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. So excited to begin the show today. We're going to find out more about you and, you know, who you are, what you do, and how you got there. Excellent. Yeah, well, happy to share. I, um, Of course, I uh, started in my journey with entrepreneurialism, actually just cutting lawns whenever I was a kid. Uh, just out there pushing, pushing lawnmowers in Houston, Texas and, um, saving money, not knowing what for, but just knew it was important to save money. And I bought my first business and commercial real estate property while I was in law school during my second year of law school and flipped it to graduate from law school. Then I did, we bought it for like $10,000. Um, so that's when I fell in love with entrepreneurialism and real estate. And, uh, ultimately, uh, just continued to invest in real estate while I was being an attorney. I quit being an attorney and just was real estate investing. Um, and as I acquired more assets in real estate, I learned that, holy smokes, there's some stuff that I need to figure out. I had a friend of mine that lost over $3 million from a single lawsuit. And he was one of the guys that was like, oh, I just own everything in your personal name and have great insurance. And that's actually what I was doing back in the day. And then I was like, nope, I'm going to have LLCs and other stuff put in place to make sure that I don't end up um, what happened to you, man. I was like, I'm sorry, but uh, that happened to you, but that ain't going to happen to me. And that's kind of what started my company, Royal Legal Solutions, was trying to figure out what are the best practices for durable financial freedom in the long term. You know, there's a funny uh, story about that because I went through something similar and I don't mean the losing the houses or anything. I mean, I'm talking about where somebody told me that I don't need to incorporate. I don't need to do any of that. And, uh, and my own gut feeling says, yeah, that is wrong advice. And, <laughs> but uh, when I was trying to build up my fund, uh, which is Papaloni Capital Inc. And uh, what I tried to do, I, I had so many people I talked to, I talked to like 12 people, like, uh, like, like between accountants, lawyers, um, even, I even got my mortgage license cause somebody told me I should get my mortgage license for this. And I didn't really know why I would need a mortgage license for it, but Hey, I got my mortgage license. So, um, and then, uh, I just like got to the point that I was going to give up and I'm like thinking, you know what the heck with this, I, I, you know what, I'll just keep what I have small is good, which I don't believe that, but I'm trying to tell myself that. And, um, <laughs> You know, any excuse to not pursue it because you get fed up or just put it on hold. Then uh, one day I had somebody on my podcast who was an accountant and actually happened to know the steps and uh, solutions for it. And I didn't even ask him about it. I didn't even occur to me. And I knew the guy. And like, I mean, uh, so we're going through it and we're on the podcast and he's describing how to set up a perfect corporate structure and uh, and stuff like that. And I'm going, oh, dear God, this is exactly what I've been trying to do. Nobody's been able to answer this. And, uh, that's how I set up my fund, but it was one of those things. Yeah. If I had listened to that uh, thing, you know, everybody I'd known who said, uh, you know, you don't need to do this. You don't need to do that. And you're like, okay, well, where did you end up? Right. Uh -huh. So it's, <laughs> it's always, you know, like if it sounds too good to be true or it sounds too easy, it probably is. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, you know, there's like a thousand ways that you can do things, right? It's like looking at a lot of the syndication investments that are happening right now, right? Like rising interest rates and now all the syndications, you know, there are a lot of the syndication deals that are popping, right? Because like whoever the operators were, like they didn't anticipate that interest rates would rise so quickly. And so now like their, their funds are like crumbling because of it, right? Well, they would have been fine had interest rates not done that, right? Yep. And I think this is the difference between saying like, what are best practices? from people that have already walked the journey before versus just what you might be able to get away with if the bad thing doesn't happen. And what I look for when I'm looking at um, 
people that I'm looking for for mentorship from, which is for me, it's somebody that already has what I want that's walked the path personally and willing to talk to me and teach me about how to do it um, is that how durable is it? How predictable, right? And I'm willing to sacrifice some up upside gain. I'm willing to sacrifice quite a bit actually to know that it, all my hard work isn't going to be wasted or that I'm not, I'm not as likely to be able to lose money in the investment because of uh, the nature uh, of things. And that's what uh, has led me to be able to have a life that's much more calm, peaceful, uh, predictable. And, uh, and overall I, it's the kind of life that I like that I can go like go mountaineering and go climb Kilimanjaro and go spend months on the beach in Osara surfing and do these things. It's because I focused on how to make it really boring. Like that side of my life is really boring and predictable. You know, it's funny because a lot of people, you know, look for excitement and all that. And the truth of the matter is that most success comes from being boring. It's like you said, right? It's um, really mind boggling why, you know, like, like proven tactics bore people and they don't stick through it, right? It's like going to the gym. You're not going to see anything for the first six months. Yeah, people try it 30 days into it. Ah, it didn't work and move on. It's just mind boggling. I mean, history, like, it's not like you have to listen to me or you look at history, history, the data will show you this. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, there are things that should be like exciting inside of it, right? Like, for example, when we talk about asset protection and making sure that you don't lose assets and that you bulletproof yourself from lawsuits, what we focus on is like, Hey, here's how you use trust to make it where all the assets and companies you own anonymous. And then here's how you can use things like called series LLCs to be able to spin up an infinite number of LLCs for free. So that way you can have like this ultimate castle of protection around you and it doesn't uh, cost you anything more uh, and it doesn't take any more to operate it. it doesn't, it's no additional filings or any of that stuff, right? But that's not what I'm sitting around like getting my jollies off of. It's actually trying to figure out like what is like the thing, the experience that I'm wanting in life. And I just need to make sure that this area of my life called money works in the way that it's designed to work and the best practices that are there with the smartest people that I can find. Um, but what a lot of times people hap happen is that the money and making the money becomes the thing that they think is supposed to be exciting. And these are the people that are always like chasing the next big deal, right? And that they're like, I want to tell you about the amazing ROI that I made on that deal. And I was like, you are going to Vegas and your money is actually supposed to be boring. The interesting part of your life is supposed to be all the other stuff you're doing that's outside of money. But this part of your life, you just need it to run it inside of, of uh, like best practices with smart people that have built it and done it before. Absolutely. Like prime example. Now interest rates are what? 7%. Yeah. And you know, my view is I don't give a crap. <laughs> right. Because I protected myself from that. This is history, right? hundred years of history can show you that things are up and down. It's never straight, right? So like people should anticipate this, like low interest rates should be bonus, not the only way you make it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's right. You know, like we look at, you have to look at things, especially in the money making game, it's over longer time scales, right? And it, it's same thing with just like interest rates, right? In my world, this is like about like lawsuits. Lawsuits don't happen to you every day, but you're almost guaranteed to be sued for a major lawsuit over the course of 20 years. I mean, one lawsuit in the US can be for an infinite amount of money. There's no cap, right? And all it takes is one to go bad, my friend who lost $3 million, right? 
for you to think I'm really close to being financially free, or I might already be financially free. And then all of a sudden you have like the rug ripped out from underneath you. And so it's like knowing the history, like knowing what's possible and then saying, great, I'm willing to invest now in the right way to be able to make sure that once I'm out of the game, I'm all the way out because I made sure to think about how are things going to work long-term and I'm going to prioritize this, uh, prioritize this initiative. Yeah. You know what? That's the one thing I've never, I don't hear, I'm going to jinx myself here, but I have not experienced that issue yet. And, um, maybe because I'm new to the game, uh, I don't know, but, and I'm kind of knock on wood, right. Or, uh, you know what, maybe, maybe I'm just too brutally honest about things and what's, I, I guess people can sue things and try it if yeah, they want honesty to. Honesty is not a defense, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's, it's a, it's a question. Um, we, we, I defend about a lawsuit a month from like our clients that come through. Right. So lawsuits are always happening. And the issue is, is that when lawsuits come up, it's somebody lost money, right? They were involved with you somehow and they're mad. And so what they do is they just blame you and then they lie about it because that's the nature of the legal system, right? They don't want to suffer the loss. They want you to pay for it. And then, you know, you're the one that ends up having to be, have like be put in this position. And I'm not saying don't pay things. Like if somebody actually gets injured and you're responsible for it, like pay for it, like take care of the people. Like you, you cause that problem. That's your mess. You fix it. Right. But there's a difference between that. And then also being beholden to somebody else, being able to threaten you and hold leverage over you to, to bully you into doing something that um, isn't right. And that's what happens if you're not uh, not protected. Um, but it's uh, it doesn't cost that much. It's easy to get protected. You know, like some people get afraid of it, but it's it's so easy to do. I just I would think that it would be rec- recommended for anybody that has, you know, over $100,000 in total net worth. Well, how do you protect yourself? Let, let, let's unpack that. Like, what are some of the steps that people can take? Yeah, the, the easiest thing to do, I mean, there's really two pieces. There's actually holding your assets anonymously and your companies anonymously. So that way, one, it's it's a privacy thing, right? I don't want everybody to know everything that I own and where it's at, right? Then there's this other thing that says, well, if anybody comes looking to sue me or, or sue things, I don't want to be able to connect all the dots where all of the stuff is, right? I want to make it look like on paper, if anybody researching me to see if I'm a good target, I say, oh, this guy didn't, the guy didn't know anything. He's not a good target to see. I don't want to spend $50,000 going after him because there ain't nothing there that I know I can take. I might think that he has some stuff, but I don't know where it's at. I don't know how to get to it. Right. And then, and you accomplish that by using like types of revocable grantor trusts, land trust, private property trusts, like those kinds of things like that. Don't complicate your tax returns. There's no extra work that you have to do. You just have to put them in place and they just kind of sit there. Um, and then you incorporate that with a series LLC. It's the best thing I've found because um, that allows you to create one asset holding company in Delaware, Texas, Nevada, Wyoming. And then with that, you can create an infinite number of essentially series or child series, which is work like LLCs for free. So now you can compartmentalize every asset you own. So if there's a lawsuit against one asset, they can't take any of the others. Lawsuits against you, they can't take anything. And people can't find out what you own because it's all hidden behind anonymous trust. Nice, nice, nice. I think that's where I made my mistake is in naming my damn corp after myself. that's so bad for an operating company right because there's a part of us that has to touch the world yeah and that's the second leg of the stool is that you want a company that separates you from anybody else you're doing business with 
like collects rents if you're a single family home investor or hires contractors or does anything that's out there in the world. Um, but then what you what you need on with that is a completely separate asset holding company that operates as like your anonymous vault of assets that doesn't touch anybody, doesn't talk to anybody, doesn't do anything where there's, you know, liability as much as possible connected to it. So that way things can blow up in your life. You can get a car accident that exceeds the limits of liability car insurance policy. Your business can blow up. People could sue you or whatever. And at the end of the day, you're probably protected by your operating company. But if you're not, they still can't get to your assets. And at the end of the day, if people aren't touching your assets, then you're sleeping easy at night. Well, look, any of my assets aren't owned by my primary corporation, like by myself. I mean, here's here, my structure is very simple. My primary corporation is my operating corporation. And what ends up happening is everything I own is under an LLC that is that my corporation is a shareholder of. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, that can work. Yeah. So that, that, that I'm, then I did it right. Yeah. 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 Okay. I mean, I think that's, like, I'm not your attorney. This is not. Legal. No, 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 no. I'm just curious yeah, if that's but, a structure. Like that, that's definitely one way to do it. Right. Um, so there's a thousand ways to skin the cat and it really depends upon what are the types of assets and what types of tax objective objectives are needing to be reached. Got it. So a lot of people, um, a lot of people are like, well, am I, am I doing it right? And I was like, well, it, it actually depends upon a number of factors and, um, and it depends upon a strategic plan for, how is your wealth going to scale and what way is that going to work? The big thing on everything in my mind, actually, and the biggest win is usually tax. Like anybody that's making over $150,000 a year in tax usually can save between seven to $10,000 a year in taxes just by having the right tax savings vehicles and right having the right corporate structure to help them save on tax. Um, this can be true for W-2 people just as much as it is for, um, you know, your 1099 but over 150k and um, household income, the if you do it right, should be able to pay for having everything done right. Like you can, it's really your best first investment. Um, but you know, it's just like you're saying, right? Well, here's how I have it structured. Great. Well, there's like a whole different analysis that has to go on to be able to say, well, can I actually have a more robust structure potentially? And a, and a better, like a better investment plan and a good tax saving strategy. And then the, the net effect of all of that um, together is that I could save enough money, like on my taxes to pay for all my state planning and all my investment advisory and all my CPA work and CFO work and everything else that could go on inside of your wealth building journey. Makes sense. What got made you get into this? Let's be honest here, right? Like, because this is not something people wake up and think of. It's this sort of like, hmm, what am I going to do? I'm going to become a lawyer. No, I'm going to become an investor. I don't want, you know what I mean? Like, it's a, we kind of end up here. But yeah, what well, made like, you want to even get into law? Well, at the time, I was actually cage fighting in, in Texas. And then I was, uh, and then I was like, well, if I keep getting kicked in the head this many times, I don't know how good this is going to go. So I was like, I'll go to law school. And so that's when I decided I'd go to Albany Law. And then in law school is where I got introduced an opportunity to, like that was an awesome deal that I was like, well, can't really lose on buying this building for 10K, right? And back taxes and as an operating business. Cool. I mean, let's give this a shot. Like this feels like it could be like exciting and fun. And then I got to taste what that was like to be able to make that work. Um, and then that's when I could start seeing the writing on the wall that was about, oh, this is how the game works. This is actually how, how you're supposed to be doing this if you actually want to get free. And most everybody I knew didn't, didn't know how to get free. So that's where I got, I got involved with it to say, like, great, this is going to be the focus of my life because what I really wanted was freedom. I wanted freedom to go climb Mount Kilimanjaro, travel through Africa, spend months in the jungle, 
do whatever it is that I wanted to do in life. Um, and to do that, you need, you need money, but you need to know that your money's still going to be there. Right. So you're not playing this game of like, is my money all going to be gone or am I just saving some money and then it all gets burned and then I'm having to go back to work a job. It's like, no, no, no. How do you get like free, 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 right? Like I have passive income that comes in from durable assets um, that has like a team that's going to appropriately manage and strategize things and take care of all the yearly maintenance. So that way when I'm out, I'm like as out of the game as much as possible, just trying to like enjoy life as a 38 year old male. Right. Now you said cage fighting. You literally mean cage fighting. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, that's what my big thing was. I loved, um, after I got out of my undergrad, I was a professional tutor. So I could tutor for like 10 hours a week. And the whole rest of the time I was training Muay Thai, Jiu Jitsu and boxing. Um, people hear cage fighting and they think it's like, like something like super crazy. Um, but it's, it's, uh, not, um, I mean, for me, it was like some of the most fun, like playing football was much more brutal on my body right. Then, than any fight that I ever got into like in, in a cage. So, um, it's, uh, and it's a martial art, you know, so yeah. it's not for everybody. Right. And that's I'm not true. trying to say everybody should like step in, you know, and, and see what that's like. But, uh, but it, it literally is less painful in the body than just playing high school football. Well, that's very interesting. Um, I was going to make a joke and say, basically got your, the sense knocked into you. <laughs> Yeah, in a way, right? Because eventually I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. This was super cool. I'm going to go to law school. Let me take my LSAT so you're going. Yeah. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I don't think somebody could just wake up one day and decide that they're going to be a real estate investor. And uh, I don't have two cents to my name. I don't have a job. I don't have anything, right? There's got to be a starting point. So somebody who's interested in, uh, you know, just doing better in themselves and just maybe even getting into the entrepreneurial journey or just finding out different opportunities. What would your advice be for that, uh, you know, I would say aspiring person? Yeah, I... If, if you got nothing, nothing, nothing going on, then the best thing that you can do is go find somebody who actually is a successful entrepreneur. That's the smartest person you can find and then go do anything it possibly takes to go work for them. Because like what the thing is, you actually don't know what it takes. You don't know anything. You're not useful yet, right? You got to become useful in this life if you want to be able to, to make more money. And the best thing to do is to just do whatever it takes. I mean, I don't care if you have to eat nothing but rice and beans and sleep on the floor. It doesn't matter. Because like those two years that it takes of grinding it out to be able to learn from somebody who is actually demonstrating the kind of life, the kind of business, the kind of money, the kind of family, the kind of fun and adventure, the kind of charitable giving, whatever are the things are that you want in life is nothing because the two years are going to go by. And if you're 26, you're going to be 28. The question is, are you going to be 28? and have all of these amazing skill sets about how the next 40 to 50 years of your life are going to go, or are you just going to be 28? Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Yeah. 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 I get your point though. Right. I mean, it, it is part of the grind. It's part of learning. And obviously the more, you know, the more you're worth, it's kind of a process and too many people want to get to the end zone before they even got to the beginning zone. So yeah, we're, we're suffering what I call from uh, Instagram, which is like instant gratification. Wait, it's fine. If Instagram makes you rich, you know, and gives you practical skill sets that then it's fine. Right. But the question is, is like that there's no BS when it comes to like, what's your top line revenue? How much money are you bringing in? Right. And like in inside of our economy and system, you, you, your first hurdle is like, can I get over $50,000 a year? Can I find a way to be able to hustle it, to be able to bring in 50 K? And once you start being able to bring in over 50 K, then there's things that you can start doing about like, learn about tax, 
have your LLC taxes and S corporation. So you can save on self-employment tax, right? And then, you know, as you start making more money, there's more sophisticated things you can do around different types of like tax shelters and like investments, you know, and those, uh, and those kinds of things that, that, that come up. Right. And that's what my company is built on. Um, but when you're at the very beginning stages of stuff, you know, it, you need to learn how to work. You know, if you, if you talk to Jordan Peterson, he'd say like, do you know how to make your bed? Because learn how to make your bed is actually a piece of work. And if you don't know how to keep your bed made, then you don't know even the most basic pieces of work of what it takes to say like, oh, these are just the, these are the things I need to do to help take care of myself. And then the better I can take care of myself, the more choices that I can make about what do I need to do for my business or what I need to do for my money that's going to further take care of myself. And it starts like a snowball of being able to um, discipline yourself and have the peace and the rewards of what that comes with. Right. Makes sense. Now, what would you say was your biggest hurdle throughout your whole journey? Uh, the biggest hurdle is, is actually just the fear of, uh, doing it. You know, it's the, you know, the, when I, before I bought the transmission and auto repair shop, right. I had a really real chance of saying, I'm going to lose everything. Well, I'm supposed to be an attorney. What are people going to think about me owning like a car mechanic shop? You know, and aren't people going to think I'm weird because nobody else is going to do this? And what if it fails? I'm be really embarrassed, you know. And my family, nobody thinks it's cool. I didn't have any chicks that were wanting to date me. We <laughs> had a it was a car mechanic shop, you know. So it was like, you know, it, it, it's it's that whole deal is about the is about the the biggest challenges aren't actually doing the things. The biggest challenges I found are what's going on inside of my head about why I'm not doing it, you know? Um, and, and a lot of times those come about like, you know, fear of embarrassment or a uh, fear of it not working out and telling myself some story about what that means, you know? So it's, uh, it's really the biggest, the biggest thing is actually between your, it's between your ears because actually doing any of this stuff is easy. Doing is very easy. Like if your mindset's right. Well, that's the thing. How'd you get your mindset in check? You know what I mean? Cause it's easy to, you know what, like, let's be honest, the biggest salesperson is the, you know, in between your eyes or in between right. your ears, right? That's your biggest salesman. And that's usually the most convincing one. So it's yeah. going to take something, you know, pretty, uh, powerful to make you, uh, ignore that. Yeah. It's uh one, it's not ignoring it. That's the, it's a mistake because whatever it's actually trying to, with that part of you, that's raising that thing is actually trying to protect you. It's trying to protect you from something. Um, it's actually trying to care for you, but it's trying to care for you in the wrong way, right? So it's like an unruly child. And the best thing that you can do for an unruly child is be a good parent to it. So you let you let your mind, you can let your mind kick and scream and say, oh, I can see that you're really afraid. If I, I really love, like, I think that chick's really cute. Look at her. Oh, she's gorgeous over there, right? What happens if I go over there and talk to her? She shoots me down. I'm going to feel embarrassed. And then I'm going to tell my story about my, to myself about what a loser I am. The thing is, you're never going to get that chick unless you go over and talk to her. You don't even have a shot. And for all you know, she's like, I'm really into 38 year old dudes that are a little chubby and balding. Holy smokes. I would have never have known. But the deal is, is that I can look at the story that's going on inside of my head and say, oh, look at that. I'm afraid of going over there and talking to her. And then very simple. All you got to do is relax, just relax, breathe and relax while sitting with whatever the fear is. And what you'll find is the fear will go away. And then all you have to do is just go make the choice to go over there and talk to her. 
And it's the same with anything. The fear is only in a moment. It's just there in this moment. And if you can learn just to breathe and relax while sitting with whatever it is that you're afraid of, instead of trying to push it down or push it away or psych yourself up into some type of like Gary, Gary V friend or Tony Robbins, like frenzy, you know, um, life becomes really easy because you're just like, great, I just need to learn how to relax and then go do whatever I need to go do anyway. And that's why doing is so actually so easy if you're willing to slow down to relax. I mean, that's interesting. I mean, it sounds simple on the surface. Yeah. And I'm sorry if I'm digging into this, I'll be honest. No. I don't, I, there's certain emotions I don't feel I don't have, and I know that other people have them and I just don't understand them. So it's growing up. I've always been like certain things like that fear of embarrassment. Um, you know, the, the term no shame. Mm -hmm. I generally am that guy. <laughs> um, and, and it's not something like, at least growing up, I was, I mean, as I got older, things are adjusted a bit, but it was one of those things that if I wanted to do something, I would just go do it or I, I'd go ask for it. Right. And I never understood why people didn't. Right. But then I've heard things like, you know what I mean? Like sometimes people get embarrassment and I'm trying to figure out why, like what, what is the effect of the, uh, of embarrassment? What makes, what makes like, like, for example, we'll use that girl thing. If she goes up there and you ask her out and she says, no. And uh, in my head, I'm going, okay, who gives a shit? Move on to the next person. But I realized that for, for a lot of people, many people, there is that embarrassment. And I'm trying to figure out why is it embarrassing? Well, do you have any, when you go into like sales calls and like you're doing cold calling and only one out of every like hundred people that you'll talk to will convert? What's that experience like? That's a good point. I, um, like I said, I don't feel embarrassment. I hate it. I find it boring, but, um, I, I don't actually care that people say no, can, because I look can, at it and say, can, can you understand that there's a story that somebody would say is like, if a hundred, if 99 of these people say no, it means that like, I'm not very good. This thing isn't very good. Yeah. 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 It's not working. You know, it's not I, working. I it. I'm wasting my time. This is never going to be good enough. You know, that's, that's the thing is that people, what we call fear is really around this thing saying, well, um, it's an emotional response that helps protect us from whatever the story is. And the story is actually there to help us because we might be wasting all of our time. So like we experience this emotion called fear to protect us from this other thing. You might not experience it, you know, like you just might not be wired that way to experience fear. There's some people that aren't. Um, but like that's, that's, I think that's what's going on. I, like I have fears, don't get me wrong, but it's just never around doing stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, perfect. So the 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 same context though, right, bro? Like works in every aspect. That like the fear of whatever it is that you want out of your life of like what's the ten out of ten experience that I'm looking for out of like uh, my financials, my intellectual, my social health, my emotional health, my spiritual health, like whatever all those are. That the theory runs as says. Whatever it is that you think a 10 out of 10 in your life is in those areas, right? The reason you're not experiencing is because you have fear that is keeping you from doing the actions that are needed to be able to go do those things, right? To be able to have the 10 out of 10 experience um, that's there, right? And so all you have to do to be able to test this theory is actually get really clear of what's the 10 out of 10 experience that I'm looking for at every area of my life. And then write down on your list of like to do's of like, here's exactly what I'm going to go do to do that and find yourself not doing it. And then, and the things that you find yourself not doing and not executing on, if you look at them, it's always, almost always because there's some emotion that like ultimately is rooted in fear. That's about why you're not doing it. 
is because it's like, ah, that, that one really pushes outside of my comfort zone. Okay. That's just another way of saying that that's where my fear line is. Got it. Got it. Yeah. That makes sense. Now I get that part. Awesome. So even when you do new, a new venture, right, there's always that question of like, is this going the right way? Can I do better? You know, is this, you know, where I want to be? Did I make the right choice? And there's that moment where I call that aha moment. That aha moment is sort of the, when you kind of not, I don't want to say become complacent. That's the wrong word where you become that, you know, set in and saying, I'm in the right spot. I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be. And it's giving me the results I want. It's sort of that doubt disappears. Yeah. It's called clarity. Yeah. Yeah. What was that clarity moment for you? I have these clarity moments all the time. Of course. Clarity moments are predictable. So the, the issue is everybody's actually waiting for clarity moments to happen. And that's not the, that's not my, well, you can, they will just happen. Right because you've had them before. But it, if you use things like learning tools, like I just shared with you earlier about if you can learn to breathe and relax, these are like the basic fundamentals before you even start doing tools like meditation and calming the mind. And if you can actually get your mind to calm down, then you will experience more and more and more and more clear moments of, of clarity. Um, but yeah, I mean, for, for me, like the biggest one was having a business be successful coming out of law school. And I was like, oh, this is totally achievable and doable. There's actually nothing that's just having to get in there and risk it of getting my hands dirty and being willing to, to fail, being willing to be embarrassed, being willing to have to go through the struggles of saying, if it doesn't work out, what am I going to do next? And being like, actually, that's totally recoverable from. And in fact, nobody actually cares. I'm the only one that cares, really. Everybody else will forget about whatever's going on with me right after I tell them what's going on because they're actually only thinking about themselves most of the time. Right. That is true. But that's the thing, right? Like, it's easy to just, like, okay, it's easier just to pause, right? But how do you get a point? Like, I mean, we're breathing every day. So I'm trying to get the clarity on this. Like, we're breathing every day, right? Like, it's like you got to live to breathe. How, how do you get the strength from just stopping to get, actually go and do it? Yeah. So... All you have to do is be feeling something you don't want to feel. That's the first step. You have to first be aware. I have this thing that's coming up with me that I don't want to be feeling right now. You're like, ah, okay, cool. What am I going to do about that? So what do, what do most people do? They distract themselves. They jump on their phone. They start working a little more. They'll check their email. They'll go run down the hallway to talk to Carol in the other office. They do this stuff called, I don't like actually the way that I, if you slow down enough and you're aware of what's going on, what you realize is, I actually don't feel the way I want to feel right now. And so what I'm going to, what my, the, the behavior patterns I've learned to do is to jump into some type of distraction. And that's why everybody's on their phone all the time is because it's such a beautiful wormhole of a distraction, right? You can just click through one dopamine hit after the other scrolling through reels on your YouTube or Instagram or TikTok or whatever. Right. But if you do this other thing, which I'm, I'm, it's worked very well for me and for, for many, many other uh, highly effective people is instead of jumping to distraction, which you might get lost 15, 20, 30 minutes in that distraction, if you'll take 60 seconds to just stop, sit with the emotion of whatever's going on and take big breaths, inhale, hold it, exhale, hold it, inhale, hold it, exhale, hold it. Same thing the Navy SEALs do, right? as they call this stuff called box breathing. What you'll find is, is that you'll move through the emotion inside of 60 seconds. 
And what that ultimate effect is, you actually saved yourself anywhere between 14 to 29 minutes of time because you were able to, to head off the behavior pattern that was about to launch you into wasting a bunch of time and energy. Got it. Got it. Now I understand. That makes sense. That makes sense. It's really slowing yourself down or forcing yourself to face it versus allowing yourself to get distracted. Then from running from it. Yeah. I mean, what, like, what are we as men? I mean, like, are we going to just run from the, are we going to run from the emotions that are there? Or is it much stronger and much more difficult to actually have to sit with it and work with it? And I'll tell you, it's a thousand times more difficult to get yourself to do it because most of the time we don't want to feel that way, but it's okay. It's just an emotion. You just need to sit with it and work with it. Like as if it were an unruly child, you wouldn't like run away from an unruly child or lock them in a closet. You have to sit with them and work with them. And then like, eventually they turn, they learn how to be less unruly. And what you'll find is, is that the parts of yourself that are seeking distraction are getting caught up in the phone and you're not able to do all the things that you want to in life. What's the underlying root cause of that slowly diminishes. And what you find is, is this thing where your mind is much more peaceful. You feel more peaceful. You're simply just making decisions as you go through the day until something pops up and then you work with it. And then you go back into working on your day, but you're not getting ping ponged around by life and being fully reactionary to whatever's coming up. And this is how you become an elite entrepreneur This is how you become an elite effective person. This isn't me telling you, this is Michael Singer and his book, Living Untethered. He built a billion dollar software company. And this is like the one thing that he teaches as he's like, if you, everybody will just do this one thing, they will have amazing levels of success. So, you know, but I, I do it for myself and I have now for some time. And I'm like, I gotta tell you, it's like, it's magic what it does. Absolutely. I'm going to let's break it into your investment portfolio here. Like not every investment works out the same way. Some are better than others. And we learn to discover what works best and what doesn't work best as we do them. Let's, you know, action kind of gives you the answer to everything. So with that being said, is what in your whole portfolio, what's giving you the best returns? What's giving you the best outcome? And, you know, like what, what do you find that didn't work as well as you expected? Um, I find the very best things that work for me are um, syndications where I'm investing with a group of other investors that are professional investors um, and that we're pushing in um, some significant capital. And uh, like this one group, we pushed in like collectively between the whole group, like six million um, into self-storage units and um, with with an investment fund. And so those have some cash flow, big tax benefits from bonus depreciation, and uh, they're doing some, you know, rehab on the building and they'll flip it, you know, for like a, um, you know, double the money in five years, the underlying capital. Got it. So I like that stuff because it's, uh, it allows me to um, be really passive. Remember, my money's supposed to be boring. Um, it's also that I'm investing with like a group of like other people. So I'm, I'm benefiting from communal underwriting. That's happening, right? So now the deal is underwritten, mo underwritten much better than I would ever do, like on my own. Um, and that I'm usually coming in as like a small fish inside of a much bigger pool of of money that's coming in. So it means that we get better rates from and better returns from the syndicator because they're having to deal with less less investors because we're coming in as like one voice. Um, and the asset class is really boring. It's something that's like mm, self storage units. That is predictable. You know, like we know how that's going to go, right? So 
Um, those are all the things that I think about when those are my best investments. My very worst investments is like when it's Bob down the street who's going to flip a house because freaking Bob, you know, like Bob gets distracted. He got sick, you know, you know, no fault on his fault for that. But stuff happens in life. And my whole like all that money that I was going to put into it is all wrapped up in what's going to happen to Bob, you know, versus something else that's a little bit more durable. Now, sometimes Bob, though, gave me better returns, right? But I'm a little bit more shaky because I'm like, well, it's really all dependent on like one guy. And that's fine if you really, really believe in Bob and you like you trust in Bob. and You're like, Bob's my boy. And, and he's got it and he's going to make it happen, then awesome. You should invest with Bob, right? But I just don't know that many Bobs. So I, I go to this other direction. Makes sense. Makes sense. Now, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. I found it fascinating that you, so you're, you're in the self-storage here. I was uh, blown away by that because I never knew what the heck the capabilities of self-storage was. Because on the surface, you look at it and you say, it's just a piece of land with some buildings on it where people store stuff in there. And it's like, how long could that possibly go? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, amazingly <right>? well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. So I discovered, but uh, it's recent uh, discovery for me. Up till yeah. now, I was skeptical. <laughs> it's like <laughs> great, yeah, they're great. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've always been a multifamily believer. But somebody pointed out with uh, when you look at self storage, the expenses are low and the income is consistent. Where it's not the same. You don't have residential rules, not a multifamily. You have many of them, but multifamily are more, you have high mortgage and low income. You just have a, a shitload of them, right? So yeah. it's, it, it was interesting when I saw the differences in there. Now, where my question is going to be to you is that, I mean, obviously self-storage is huge for you. Do you have any multifamily in there or did you yeah. just avoid that? No, I, I have multifamily as well too, especially like value add multifamily and class B is something that I really like. Um, and, um, I have some, some stuff that I do with like mobile home parks, um, as well too. I have a few single family homes and some Airbnbs. Um, I mean, I have like a pretty good mix. I, I'm not actually at, like for or against any type of asset class. Uh, what I'm, what I'm, it my, it's my other criteria that are actually like much more important, right? Is that, um, you know, is it, is the right kind of the deal and, you know, is it the right kind of deal that I'm looking for? Like, do I need more tax benefits, more cash flow? You know, how am I feeling about like what's going on on macro issues of like things over the next five years, you know, um, that will help help determine it. But I think there's great deals at any given time in every single asset class, um, because at some level, you know, there's always going to be a seller who really wants out of a property or really wants out of an asset. And that could be a great deal. And it could be in whatever. True. Now, where do you find your deals? Like some people won't invest in certain areas. Some people think other areas are better. Some people are specifically targeting a certain city or a state or whatever. And other people uh, just don't really care where it is. Oh, I mean, I, I follow the I follow the herd of like, I pay a lot of money to be part of like investor groups um, and then fly out to go spend time with these people. Um, and I, I kind of just follow the herd of like, where does it look like the majority of the very smartest people that I can hang out with are looking at any given time. And then that's where I focus my attention. Um, and that that's a moving target, right? So like every, you know, every quarter that could change, right. Depending upon like what people are seeing. Um, I mean, that's the way I've been able to optimize uh, my life around it. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. So yeah. Okay. So there's not really any restrictions other than where the trends are. Yeah. You just find the trends and surf the wake of other people that are better than you. And life is pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing I noticed you're making a, a you know, 
constantly saying about people and networking. And obviously you, you brought out what I believe is, and you are the, you know, there's always that saying where you're saying you are the people who you surround yourself with. And obviously those relationships are very important. Now, how do you end up meeting people like who can help you level up? Well, like the first thing you need to do is like get better yourself, right? Like people that are really high level don't want to be hanging out with chumps. But the deal is, is that you don't have to, um, you know, that doesn't mean that like you need to have as much wealth as them, right? No, but you need to, like you need to be like working. I mean, it, it's like anybody in your own life, right? So like anybody in your own life that is there is that uh, would come to you for help. What are you looking for them? You're looking for somebody that looks like they're dedicated, looks like they're wanting to learn. Uh, and that they put in a lot of their own work, probably like read a bunch of books and has like starting to try to put things in practice. And it's probably coming to you with like, what's that last like 10% of knowledge that only you know, because you're experienced in it and you've walked the path before. And I, and if I'm there trying to get you to mentor me, what I'm asking you for is like those simple, very thoughtful questions. But most of the time people are like, I want a mentor. And what they're really saying is, I want a cheat code for somebody else to spoon feed me. Uh-huh. And it doesn't work that way. What it really works as is you're already working your tail off to be able to uh, do all the things that you know how to do to, to be there. And then when you go to somebody, the quality of the questions that you ask them will prove to them that you're somebody that's worth their time. Because everybody that's made it to whatever level they are, they actually really want to help people but they only want to help the right kinds of people, like the people that are really going after it because so many people ask them for help and they give, they give them advice and they don't do anything with it. Right. So it gets very tiring. Right. So you, that's what you need to do to be able to prove yourself is to learn what to put in the hard work. So you actually know what are the real questions because then why the hell else are you seeking a mentor? You should just be doing it and be successful by doing all the other things. You don't need the people. Right, right, right. So now that's the thing. How do you determine like what, would be your criteria for the right person? Like what, what are the things you look for and what are the things that you're trying to avoid? They should have already maxed out everything they can do without me, right? And they should already be trying to be able to push it into practice on their own, but are struggling with, um, they're struggling with, typically what they're struggling with is how to take different pieces of knowledge, like different puzzle pieces and see how they're supposed to fit together, right? So like, for example, on like what it is that we talk about with like asset protection and tax, right? Well, there's some people that are just like purely asking about tax and there's some people that are just purely asking about asset protection. And for those people, I'm just like, just go talk to like you, any, any attorney should be able to help you with legal. Any CPA should be able to help you with tax. Okay. What well, the reality is, is that most of them can't, but, but the real magic, if somebody wants to talk to, to talk to me about it is saying like, are you asking me questions about how these two subject matters relate to each other in a sophisticated way to be able to get to like the out a particular kind of outcome, right? Then I know that you've studied both areas of study and that you're, what you're missing is like the key little nuggets that help you connect the two pieces, but you've already been struggling in execution and study on your own. And I'll know that by the quality of the questions that you ask me. Got it. All right, so I got a couple of last questions before I go into what I call the lightning round. So second last question is gonna be, how do you know you've had a successful day? Yeah, um, a successful day is really just (laughs) one, one that actually ends right. It ends right with me being able to just reflect on the day with like, what was I grateful for? And you know, how well was I able to stay present? 
Oh, love that one. Awesome. Okay. Last but not least is anyone looking, uh, you know, for you, where would they uh, find you? Yeah. Um, best place to do is just go to royallegalsolutions.com and we have all kinds of video training, uh, up on the, on the homepage of the website, ways to schedule in with the team. Um, we have, I don't know, 11 eBooks, tons of videos. Um, all the education that we give to everybody is absolutely for free. So that's really the best place to come start, whether you're really sophisticated and you're like, Hey, I want a full service team that can help me with asset protection, estate planning tax, um, and my portfolio strategy. Or if you're just starting out and you don't have anything, it's a great time to learn. Just go to royallegalsolutions.com and, and get started. Fantastic. Love that. All right. Going to get into what I call the lightning round, which is just some uh, fun personal questions. So question number one being, what is your favorite food and why? Oh, man, I'm a sucker for ravioli. I have no idea why, but since I was a kid, I always love Italian food. Love that. Awesome. Favorite uh, travel destination? Uh, favorite place ever gone um, is uh, out in Africa, climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. Just beautiful countryside, amazing to see like all different types of like wildlife um, and fauna and like big challenge. Interesting. Favorite podcast or book? Yeah. I mean, one of the books that uh, my, my favorite stuff that I listen to is actually um, for podcasts and books is Michael Singer's like his living untethered, but anything Michael Singer puts out, uh, I think is something that we should all pay attention to. Fantastic. Good to know. Uh, all right. Last but not least, if you're given unlimited amount of money and only 48 hours to spend it, what you spend, you get to keep what you don't spend gets taken away. What would you do? Oh, <laughs> so let's assume that I can spend an, an unlimited amount of money and actually deploy it into anything that I want. Um, what I would immediately do is uh, I would invest all of it in micro businesses and developing economies. And I think if we did that work, then what we would find is that we would solve all of the immigration issues, the world poverty issues um, that would come up. And that would just to me be like the coolest possible thing to do. Love that answer. Awesome. I want to say thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. And it's really fun being here. Thanks again. If you like what you saw and you want to see some more, subscribe to the link below. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the John Papaloni Show.